0: So the first passage is from 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1 to 10. "The The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called, Samuel. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. This is the word of the Lord.
1: And to continue on Samuel, and we are starting at verse 11, of course. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible and he failed to restrain them. therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering." Samuel lay down until morning in the open doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, "Samuel, my son." Samuel answered, "Here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked, Do not hide from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed to Samuel through his word. This is the reading of the Lord.
2: We first met Nick Renault when he was a pretty young guy, um, but we loved him because he chose us over the Baptists. <laughs> and so he started off really well um, in some of our minds before we, um, uh, before we, some of us even met him. He was young, and there were certain rumors about him that sort of worried us. Uh, I have since expressed all of those worries to Nick, personally and privately. He did not like coffee. He did not eat any vegetables in the early times. He kept mumbling about something called Windsor Pizza as if we were supposed to b- believe that was the thing. And uh, I've actually since, with Nick uh, at my side, enjoyed Windsor pizza. Still not quite sure it's a thing, but I enjoyed that particular pie that we shared together. But I'm not choosing Samuel 3, because I still think Nick is that young guy who first came to us several years ago as an intern from Windsor to Knox Church. I'm choosing it for a more important uh, reason tonight, because we have seen a lot of progress in Nick's life and his story. Some of you from Knox and those of you who know Nick from before know that Nick has always been a bright and pretty talented young guy. But we have recognized in our midst that God the Holy Spirit has continued to form a giftedness and a calling in Nick which brings us to our time together tonight. Lawyers are called to the bar. Physicians take the hippocratic oath. Engineers wear that little ring. Beautiful little ring makes so many of us jealous. I always wanted to, you know, to drive a train, but you know, I would have just uh, taken that engineer ring. Nurses are pinned, artists have their first showing, musicians have their first gig, and pastors are ordained. They're ordained by the laying on of hands, which we're going to participate in in a few moments. In preparation for this service, one of the things that I did was, and I think it's a natural thing, is I thought about my original, my first or my ordination 27 years ago, my wife told me this afternoon, driving down from up north. And involved in that service was one of my early mentors, a renowned Presbyterian historian and educational leader and pastor, who always reminded us in seminary that pastor was the highest calling. And he didn't just mean in the church. Now, my residual brethren roots and my developing vocational theology, which eventually led me to lead a course on vocational spirituality for several years at the college level, really pushed against that notion that pastor was the highest calling, although it was a great compliment to those of us who were becoming pastors. This was pretty cool that someone like Dr. Rennie thought we were the best that you could be in God's kingdom. But I have to say that even though I fundamentally disagreed with Dr. Rennie back then, and still do have significant issues about whether pastor is the highest calling on evenings like this, and in texts like 1 Samuel 3, I do have to say that I take a pause to re-reflect on that notion of pastors being a high calling. It's reminded me of one of the central features of God's grace and God's care for people, that God chooses certain people through whom he communicates his word to form communities of worship and mission in the church throughout the world and that this is something that we shouldn't take for granted. This is something that at least means that we should come to worship on a Sunday evening, and it means so much more. That shepherd, pastor, are people ordained and called by God to protect and to care for and to speak into and to guide. His people. That's a pretty high calling. It's a very high calling. It's a beautiful, beautiful calling. And We're here tonight to say that we believe that Nick is a person because of what we have ex- experienced in the witness of our community, that he is a person not only affirmed by the wider Presbyterian Church in Canada and by his leaders at Tyndale Seminary and Knox College, but that he is a person who is ready to at least begin this high calling. The text this evening, the main text, 1 Samuel 3, starts with the experience of a boy, but it's a story about how Revelation unfolds and is worked through the life of somebody who is going to become a prophet, someone who is going to speak for God in particular ways. It's a story that includes all kinds of features. It includes the feature of a young protege actually speaking back into the life of his mentor with a difficult and provocative word. But it's also a story where that mentor who received the feedback and the revelation from his young mentoree actually wanted to receive that word, actually needed to receive that word. And Eli's strongest warning to Samuel was, woe to you if you don't tell me everything that God has asked you to say to me. Also in the preparation of the boy Samuel to become a prophet. We are catapulted at the end of this passage into a long narrative, a long history of several narratives where Samuel is going to have to listen again to who God is and to what God is doing in Israel and for how God wants to lead amongst his people. But at the center And I think most provocatively, at the center of this story of the preparation of a prophet, the man of God, the man who is going to speak for God at the center of Israel's politics and culture and present and future, is somebody who is prepared by listening. This surely is the most prophetic part of the text, at least it is to me. We've forgotten that speaking is rooted in listening. We've forgotten that the God who spoke into creation and who speaks through the scriptures and speaks ultimately through the Son, Jesus Christ, we've forgotten that that God is a listening God, first and foremost. And God help us, if God is not a listening God, who listens to our prayers, who listens to the yearnings of our heart, listens to our deepest desires. But here in this passage, we get an exercise in listening. And the coach or the mentor or the senior minister says to the ordination candidate, Samuel, when God comes back to you again, Say to him, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. The fascinating thing about this, though, is that Eli represents a whole community of Israel that wasn't listening with particular accuracy in that time. Eli represents probably many of us much of the time who are doing our own thing, or even the things that we're hearing we just don't want to come to terms with, we don't want to follow through on, we don't want to act on. When I think about this passage, and I think about the calling of people, and I think about people who are called to speak for God, The series of verses that come to my mind are actually ones that speak about listening. Be still and know that I am God. Early in the morning, Jesus went by himself to a quiet place to pray. My sheep hear my voice, they know my voice. You are my beloved son, who I am well pleased this is my son, listen to him. And so all through the cadence of the New Testament, is this trajectory of Jesus listening. Jesus, who is the Word of God, who is the new Moses, is pictured first and foremost, something we forget about Moses, that he had to go up the mountain to listen and to receive that he was by the burning bush as a shepherd himself, avoiding God's will, and that God invited him to come close and to listen. There's a shift surely that's been taking place in spiritual formation writing and pastoral theology over a couple of decades at least now in this direction. Eugene Peterson, the eminent American Presbyterian wrote when he wrote famously about how North American pastors were prostituting themselves in chasing after other gods, called us in his little book called Working the Angles, the Shape of Pastoral Integrity, called us to scripture, called us to prayer, and called us to spiritual direction. And if you think about it, those are all at their core listening practices, first and foremost listening to scripture, listening to the quiet voice, and listening to the heart and the life and the narrative of other people, listening. Peterson didn't stop there, though. He followed it up with one of his more profound books called Answering God, the Psalms as Tools for Prayer, by which he argued that the Psalms are our response to God who speaks first. that the Psalms are our expression and our answer to God because we have heard God speak in the beginning. Samuel was the prophet who listened. Listening is becoming more and more difficult in our culture. I don't know if any of you know about this, but there is this, this trend amongst youth culture called Fortnite, this game that is possessing the attention of young people, not just in North America, but actually around the world. Friends of mine who are an engineer and a successful education leader alike, trained professionals, affluent people living in the suburbs, raising two fine, talented, athletic boys, are horrified over what this game Is doing to the minds and the practices of their children. And my friend, when I didn't really know what it was, he sent me a picture of one of his teenagers lying on a couch in his basement in a room all by himself with these big earphones on, which my friend said the earphones are supposed to help him hear, but what they really do is they just keep out the rest of any other communications. We have to go right down to him and stand in front of him in order to get his attention. The threat of the preoccupation and the distraction for pastors is enormous. Church-filled schedules, meetings, visits, projects, just the whole apparatus of running a church. The temptation to scourge the internet for latest ministry tr- tips. I think everybody should read a blog or two. Phil writes a really fine blog, by the way, for those of you who are visiting us. But being bombarded by blogs sometimes can really fog up your mind if you just read one too many opinions or perspectives. Not to mention the challenge of church leaders and pastors in particular to kind of keep the church relevant by wanting to keep up with major features of culture and politics and business. These things can over time have this fortnight result, resulting in dryness and discouragement fatigue, the loss of a sustaining vision, the loss of true theological biblical memory, and ultimately kind of a cultural crisis of identity whereby pastors just worry so much that people have stopped listening to them. But the crisis for pastors is not that people might stop listening to us, Nick. The crisis is if we stop listening to God. And this is clear. It's clear in the Old Testament from the beginning and throughout when God is asking Israel, listen to me, open your ears. And in the cadence of the gospel, where Jesus is going to that quiet place to pray. In the ministry of Jesus, there is a kind of a framework that's offered to us in how Jesus worked his life and saw his life and experienced his calling as a listener. The very beginning in Jesus' baptism, which many of us forget, a dove descended from heaven and a voice came and spoke over Jesus as it said it was a direct and personal voice it said, you are my son. You are my beloved. And as someone beautifully translated, you are my favorite one. Later in the synoptic flow, we're told that Jesus had a habit of getting up early in the morning and going by himself to a quiet place to pray. The spiritual writer Henry Nouwen makes the connection between those two things by saying that Jesus, when he developed that spiritual practice of going to the quiet place to pray, was listening for that voice that identified him as the Beloved because he knew that the challenge before him was a profound, life-threatening challenge as time went on, and he needed the affirmation that he was God's beloved one, that he was the chosen one, that he was the special one, that he was the one who was being called to something life-threatening and sacrificial. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is wrestling with the Father's will in terms of the whole trajectory of God's purposes through the calling of the Son and ultimately through the death and the resurrection of the Son. Jesus identifies himself in John's Gospel as the Good Shepherd. And he says, my sheep know my voice. But we need to remember that Jesus was first the Listening Shepherd who constantly went back to hear the voice of the affirmation of the Father. Nick, I standing here tonight, I believe that you're going to be, because you are a talented and gifted and called guy, that you're going to have great pastoral ministry. But you're dead in the water if you don't listen to the voice behind your voice. And You all are in your desire to walk a spiritual life dead in the water if you don't maintain that posture of listening. Now that sounds like a severe moralism just in the way of saying it, but the reality is it's the invitation God was calling out to Samuel. God took the initiative with Samuel. Samuel, the text says, did not know God. It's a beautiful picture of who God is, desiring to get our attention, desiring to invite us into a conversation, desiring that we become listeners through whom God can then speak to people. In 2004, the church where I served and had been serving for more than 10 years granted me a sabbatical. They just said that it was some time to rest and to reflect and to listen and to re-engage and recharge my engines and there wasn't a lot of formality and form to it, just a little bit of structure here and there. So one of the things I did is I reflected on the previous 20 years of pastoral ministry and I did this little exercise. I found my box with all my date books going back to when I was first a part-time youth pastor in my late university days. And I flipped through all my deep books just like a diary, just flipped them through because they weren't on my phone. They were actually written down with ink or pencil in those days. Some of them were really small and others were way too big. Some of my colleagues at Knox still tease me, I actually still do. I use a phone but I use a real calendar too. Um, And One of the things that I found to my embarrassment and my dismay, is that I could not believe how many mornings I started in meetings and conversations and appointments. And it dawned on me in that protracted time off that I was starting most of my days by speaking to other people, by giving advice, by offering counsel, by offering encouragement, by planning strategies, by working on the future. And so one of the outcomes that I had when I came back and I felt deeply called to, and still do to this day, almost 15 years ago, is I stopped morning meetings, except under special circumstances. I just had this overwhelming sense that my day, not as a legalism, but as a pattern, should start from the posture of listening. Because the thing that took me to the sabbatical in the first place wasn't all completely unhealthy, but in the first place was that I would just come through a period of time where I had been teaching in the academy regularly, I had been preaching every Sunday, I had been leading retreats, I had been traveling and doing all kinds of stuff, serving on boards, and I was just into my early forties, and I was completely exhausted. And one of the things that I was exhausted by was my own voice. When Adam McHugh writes his deep reflection entitled The Listening Life, it's not just a cheap apology for shy people or for introverts. It's actually an attempt to recapture that at the center of the universe is a listening heart and that life fundamentally changes and that pastors are fundamentally renewed when they assume that listening precedes speaking. I have to say, when I think about the call of a pastor, it takes me back to my seminary dean and his idea that pastor was the higher-caller calling. And I have to tell you that I struggle with that, and on a night like this, I really struggle with it when I realize that certain people are called in a particular way. They're not the only people who are called to do this, by the way. There's my little brethren dig for Nick. But they are called in a particular way. They are set apart to communicate that God loves people. And when you think about that, You think about the awesome responsibility of that. You think about the opportunity and the profound need for that. And boy, it just does make you think this is a really high calling indeed. Something indispensable is being called out, is being transacted. And so when you think about this calling to listen to the voice of God who loves you and then you have the responsibility to constantly share that insight with other people. It is hard to think that there is a higher calling than that. I don't always land sermons well. My good friend Rob Dean is here. My direct report fills here, and Nick's here. But let me land it this way. The passage ends, For Samuel says that Samuel goes on to become a person who speaks time and time and time again for God. The assumption is that Samuel is a person who starts to listen to God earnestly so that he has something to say. We think of the calling of David, and that's just one example where Samuel really needed to be listening because his own personal instincts weren't actually helping him out in choosing the next king of Israel, ironically, because he didn't realize that the next king of Israel was going to be the shepherd who listened. Nick, you are a talented, gifted preacher, and you're developing good pastoral instincts. We all have a sense that God has been preparing you for a while, for a much long, longer run. Your sermon last Sunday in our church was, was brilliant. It was a brilliant engagement with the text. It was a brilliant application for our time. It showed an unusual depth capacity, not only with the scripture, but with who we were and what we needed to hear culturally, and what we needed to hear theologically in your unwrapping of what Paul was doing and engaging with the Athenians was amazing. And I thought to myself, that's the kind of word that I need to hear. But first of all, as you continue with that kind of talent and that kind of gifting, is this. Number one, remember that you are called by your name. God calls Samuel by his name. We're called by our name. We're not called by our position or our role first. We're called by our name. Please don't ever forget that. Second, while good exegesis and theological frameworks are important for good preaching, I'm going to ask you to do a favor, and that is to start to consider yourself as a Lectio preacher, a person who is able to run the dynamic reality of God's Scripture through your own heart and your own life before you try it out on the community at large. Third, a little gift from a female friend of mine who has been changing my whole way of thinking about preaching when she describes her favorite preachers like this. I like the way they hear from God. Number four, Henry Nowen begs us to spend one half hour a day in silence with one or two words from scripture in order to hear God speak to us intimately and profoundly. Number five. Jesus is the Good Shepherd. He is the Good Pastor. But behind that, He is the Listening Shepherd. Root your life and your ministry from this day forward on Jesus, whose life, death, and resurrection empowers you for your life and your ministry, and whose listening way to God the Father provides you with a framework for your praying, for your spiritual direction, and ultimately, for your preaching. It's a high calling. It's a beautiful calling because of Jesus, who listened carefully. You can do it as you listen.